Hallelujah. This will probably be a little different Easter message than you've heard, but I promise you if you'll stay in here till the end, we'll get to it. Okay? Trust that you're going to be enlightened today by what we share. Last week we talked about Jesus in the Passover. And today we're going to look at Jesus, the message of Jesus' prayer shawl. I want you to turn with the Numbers chapter 15. Numbers chapter 15. We're going to begin reading with verse 37. Would you stand with me one more time? I know you all got comfortable and got your notes all out there, but i got to stand, so you stand with me. Numbers 15, beginning to read verse 37. Numbers 15, verse 37. Again the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all of the commandments of the Lord and to do them, that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. And that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy for your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God, and I am the Lord your God. Whatever Egypt God brought you out of, He brought you out of to be your God. Not just to deliver you out of Egypt, but to be your God. God never delivers you out of unless He wants to deliver you into. Amen? So today, uh, we're going to talk about the message of Jesus prayer shawl. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank You for Your anointing today upon me to minister the Word. Thank You for our eyes of understanding and enlightening, being open. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. How many of you believe that Jesus is really going to return to this earth? Well, He's doing some things to prepare us for His coming, His return. The first thing He's doing is that He is giving the church a curiosity and a hunger to understand the Jewish roots of our Christian faith. If you'll look with me in Romans 11 right quick, I want to read you something about our roots. And you know, Jesus was not a Baptist, a Pentecostal, a Methodist, or a Presbyterian. He was Jew. He was Jewish. And you know that Christianity has been born out of Judaism. Judaism is the, the, the root. We're simply a branch. Okay? So look with me in Romans 11. Romans 11, 17 to 18. Romans 11, 17 to 18. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do not, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Okay? Our, our roots are Jewish. The second thing that God's doing to prepare us for His coming, or Jesus is doing to prepare us for His coming, is He's putting a love into the hearts of people for the Jewish nation Israel. You know, one reason I believe that we're close to Jesus' return is because of what is happening in the Middle East. What is happening in the Middle East is no surprise. It is no accident. 
It is the it is the Muslim nations that are mentioned in the Old Covenant that are going to come against Israel at the, at the Battle of Armageddon. And they are positioning themselves to literally wipe Israel off the map. But they have got a surprise coming. Can somebody say amen? In Psalm 102, turn there with me. Psalm 102, verses, verse 16. Psalm 102, verse 16 says, For the Lord shall build up Zion, He shall appear in His glory. When God has built up Zion, He will appear in His glory. Say that. When the Lord has built up Zion, He will appear in His glory. Part of that building up Zion, I believe, is giving the Christians on this earth a love for Jerusalem. And what I believe is happening is Jesus is preparing us to be comfortable. Listen, Jesus is preparing us to be comfortable when we go to Jerusalem to worship Him during the thousand year reign. How many of you know Jesus is not coming back to reign from Washington, D.C.? He is coming to Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Jesus said that He came to fulfill the Old Covenant. Well, how in the world can believers know all that Jesus has fulfilled if we don't understand the Old Testament? Understanding the Hebrew roots of our Christian faith is one of the major keys to unlocking the treasures in the Word of God. Jesus does not only appear in the New Testament, but the Bible is clear that Jesus is revealing Himself and has revealed Himself on nearly every page of the Old Testament. Do you remember when He, in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 and following, after His resurrection, He came up behind two men walking on the road to Emmaus, and they were, saying, they were all downcast, had the mully grubs, and, and were saying, oh, we just really thought that He was going to really be the Messiah. And Jesus walked up to them and said, hey boys, what y'all talking about don't you know the things that have happened and jesus said what things let me know jesus asked you questions he already knows the answer to oh jesus was going to be the ruler and 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 our messiah but they crucified him and and all hope's gone and you know what the bible says the bible says that he began at moses the scripture the first five books of the bible the torah And as they were walking, the Bible says He expounded Himself to them and revealed Himself to them in the Scripture. The word literally means is the word exegete. What it meant was He extracted out of the Scripture and showed them as they were walking. He pulled out the scrolls and said, There I am in Genesis. There I am in Exodus. There I am again. Well, there I am again. It's me, me, me. It's all about me. And it is all about Jesus, isn't it? He not only is in the New Testament, but He's all in the Old Testament. But you just got to have eyes to see and ears to hear. Last week we saw how Jesus is revealed in the Passover. If you missed that message, we have some extra CDs run off. We'd love for you to get that. You say, Pastor, uh, is it is this Scripture that tells us that we ought to be praying under a prayer shawl? Is there Scripture for that? Well, there's much more Scripture about the tallit, the prayer shawl, than there is about Sunday school. There's more Scripture about the prayer shawl, the tallit, than there is about Wednesday night prayer meeting. 
There's more Scripture about the prayer shawl than there is choir practice. There's more Scripture about the prayer shawl than there is stained glass windows. And there's more Scripture in the Bible about the prayer shawl and the tallit than there is about softball teams. Uh-oh, Lord, I don't blaspheme now, haven't I? Huh? Just because something has not been a part of our tradition in the past does not mean that God does not want to give us new revelation and present truth about it now. This is a living book, y'all. It, 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 listen, this book is not obsolete. This book is absolute. It's not just an old dirty, dusty something that you throw on the coffee table when the preacher's coming or throw up on your dash so the police won't charge you too much. This is our life. This is our this is the word of life. This is our the bread that, that we eat. There's a message in this tallit. And if we will let God give us ears to hear. It will preach to us this morning. Now, all over this wall, we've got Talits, and we've got some in the bookstore. And by the way, uh, Ju- uh, Elizabeth, I don't see the lady that had the one with her name on it, so if somebody wants it, they can have it, and I'll order another one. Uh, these are going to be available at the end of the service. And there are various prices, various kinds. We'll, we'll talk about that at the end. But Moses wore a Talit to his funeral. David wore it the day he defeated Goliath. Jesus was buried in it. Every Jew was. And we're going to say more about that in a little bit. Daniel wore it in the lion's den. This was what the prophet of God twisted up like somebody used to pop you with a towel. Remember that? And he popped the Jordan River and the river opened up. When Elijah ascended to heaven and Elisha said, I want a double portion of your anointing. It was Elijah's tallit that he threw upon Elisha. And when Elisha was buried, many years later the Scripture records that somebody died and was thrown into the tomb with Elisha. And they came back alive. There was so much power still residual on his prayer shawl and in his bones that the people couldn't even stay dead when they got thrown in the, in the, in the, in, in the tomb with him. The corner, the kanaf, is what... David slipped up behind Saul and cut off while Saul was using the bathroom. When Samuel told Saul, God's rejected you, and Samuel started to walk out, Samuel grabbed his prayer shawl and ripped the seat seat off, ripped the tassel off. And his heart sunk because he knew that this corner of this garment represents the authority of God. And Samuel looked at Saul and said, Samuel, just as you have ripped my kanaf, my authority, God is removing your authority from me. Oh, that just goes on and on and on and on and on. On and on. And on and on and on. But most of us don't know anything about this. We think, well, this is a weird. You pray with a rag on your head. Oh, just wait. <laughs> I said, just wait. Somebody... 
It's going to get good in here in about a minute. Alright? Let me tell you some things about this tallit as it preaches to us this morning. Number one, the tallit, and that's spelled T-A-L-L-I-T. In Pauline, we'd call it a tallit. T-A-L-L-I-T, the tallit. The tallit reveals the Word of God by its fringes. Its fringes are called the seat seat. In Pauline, we'd call it the T-Zit-Zit. But in Hebrew, it's seat seat. Seat seat. This is the seat seat. The fringe. The tallit reveals the Word of God by its fringes, seat seat or tassels. God said, you shall have the tassel on your tallit so that when you look at it, you will remember what? My Word. Now, the tallit, the garment, is not the focal point. The focal point is the seat seat. How many Carolina fans we got in here that wear roosters on your, alright? On your jacket. How many Clemson fans wear tiger, paw, tiger paws on you? Okay. Now, when you wear your jacket that says Carolina or the, 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 the Gamecock on it, or you wear your jacket that has the tiger paw on it, the important thing isn't your jacket. You don't want people looking at your jacket. What you want is to identify with the team. So the rooster or the tiger paw on the jacket, it's kind of like the seat seat. The important thing isn't the garment, but it's what the garment represents and what it makes people think of. You get you a new Gamecock jacket and you walk down the mall, they don't nobody say, Well, look at that pretty jacket. They say, Look at that crazy Gamecock fan. Or you wear your tiger paw. They don't say, Oh, what a beautiful orange jacket. They say, What a stupid person. Look at that tiger paw. Or if you are neither and it's roll tide. That A. Hallelujah. That A, that A, it ain't the jacket, it's the A. It's the team, can you say rah-rah? Hallelujah. And the championship. So, the, the garment isn't the important thing. Matter of fact, what we have on the walls and what we have here is really not, it is an adaptation of what was worn in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, the, the shawl actually had a hole in it and you, 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 the, the outer garment, you put your head through it and it was long down to here in the front and the back and you tied it with a belt to keep you from tripping over it. But it had the seat seat on the corners on the kanaf of the garment. It was a long rectangular uh, piece of cloth uh, with, the, with white stripes down it, depending on what tribe you were from, uh, determined what color it was. So the color is not all that important. The thing is, the the seat seat and what it represents. Now, how many of you ever tied a string around your finger to remember something? Forgot what you put the string around your finger for. 
the, the practice of tying a string around your finger to remember came from the seat seat. God said, when you put the fringe garment on, remember my word. Remember my word. So when we see the tassels, we remember the word of God. Now, secondly, the tassels signify the name and the oneness of God. I want you to look at your handout sheet that you were handed. Anybody does not have one. Everybody got a handout sheet, okay? We got some folks over here that need a handout sheet, Dr. Jim, if we could get them one. The tassels signify the name and oneness of God. Now, I know that it's very difficult for you to see up here and see the tassel. And it's probably going to be kind of difficult for you to see on that, on that image to the left of your paper. It says the, t- the seat seat with the knots and the wrappings. Uh, that's not the best copy in the world. But if you, if you can see where it says knot... There is actually a knot on the tassel, on the seat seat. And then where it says seven wrappings, eight wrappings, eleven wrappings. If you count the, the blue string or the wrapping in the, the ones that don't have the blue string, there will be, on the top, there is seven wrappings. It goes around seven times. And then the second between the second two knots, uh, there's eight wrappings. And then between the third and the fourth knot, uh, wrapping, there's, uh, there's, uh, or knot, there's eleven wrappings. Now, Let's look on the right side of this paper. The seat seat has four sets of wrappings between the knots. If you can see that over there, it's got seven wrappings, eight wrappings, eleven wrappings, and thirteen wrappings. Do you see that over on your left? Okay. The first set has seven wrappings. Between knot one and knot two, there's seven wrappings. It wraps around seven times. The second set has eight wrappings, and the third set has eleven wrappings. Well, 7 and 8 and 11 equals what? It totals 26, which is the numerical equivalent of the name Yahweh in the Hebrew. Now, you must understand that in the Hebrew, each letter is given a numerical equivalent. If we were talking about English having a numerical equivalent, the English alphabet, we could say A equals 1, B equals 2, C equals 3, D equals 4. Well, in the Hebrew, every alphabet, starting at their first alphabet through the end, are given numerical equivalents. And if you will look in the middle part of your paper, it says yod Hey vah Hey. That is, in English, we would say Y-H-W-H. That would be pronounced Yahweh. There's a guttural sound there. Yahweh. Yod-Heh-Vah-Heh. Y-H-W-H. And if you add the numerical value of yod heh Vah and Hey, it equals 26. Now, the fourth set of wrappings, a uh, fourth set has how many wrappings? Thirteen. And this is the numerical equivalent of Echad. Echad. Echad means one. The, new, the Hebrew equivalent, uh, the numerical value of, of what we would say E-C-H-A-D uh, in English is one. Actually, uh, Yahweh Echad means the Lord is one. There is one God, amen, that the Lord is God. So, the, in the fourth set has 13 wrappings and that is Echad. So that's where we get the name, the Lord is one. Now, when we look at the seat seat, every Jew that looks at the seat seat, every time he sees this, you, when, when you look at the Carolina jacket and see the Gamecock, you don't have to stop and say, hmm, what team is that? Immediately you know. Well, see, to the Jew, 
to the trained Jew who was brought up understanding the richness of this, they knew, every Jew knew, once they saw a tassel, Yahweh is God. Yahweh is one. There is one God. This is the name of God. Yahweh Ekat. Yahweh. Okay? Yahweh. So, the five double knots, there's five knots there between the or on each side of the wrappings, represent the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Now, follow me here. You got four corners with eight strings. Four times eight is what? Thirty-two. All right, now look. Eight strings tied with five knots. Excuse me, eight strings tied with five knots. We'll get to that other number in a minute. Eight strings tied with five knots is thirteen. The numerical value of talit, if you spell talit in Hebrew, the numerical value of talit is six hundred. Six hundred, and then you add the thirteen, the eight strings and the five knots is six hundred and thirteen. Did you know that is the exact number of commandments in the Torah? Six hundred and thirteen. Okay? Now, here is the four by the four the four times eight. Four corners, four kanaf, eight strings, four times eight is thirty two. Alright? In Hebrew, the word for heart is lev. Lev. And the numerical number of the word heart or lev is, guess what? 32. The Jewish bride gave her groom a talit. And in doing so, she was saying, I am giving my heart to you. And every time we receive Jesus, every time somebody receives Jesus as their Savior, actually what they're doing is they are putting a tallit back on Jesus and saying, Jesus, I give you my tallit. I give you my heart. Now, there's a third thing about the seat seat, and that is it contains... A thread of blue. It's called a tequilet. And it's spelled T-E-K-H-L-E-T. Tequilet. Excuse me. My Hebrew is rusty. Is that what what I had? Tequila. Tequila. Now, the blue, not necessarily in these, but in the the original prayer shawls, the blue strand, the blue thread, was made from what is called a murex trunculus snail. A murex trunculus snail that was found in the Mediterranean. It takes 10,000 snails to make one gram of dye. Wool dyed with tequilet was worth 20 times its weight in gold. Now listen to this. Tequilet is a blue dye mentioned 48 times in the Old Testament. Blue is the traditional color of the Messiah. It uses this dye, included dyeing the middle garment of the Jewish high priest 
and importantly, the blue thread in the seat seat. The seat seat is the fringed corner of the tallit, the prayer shawl. Seat seat was required to be placed on each of the four corners of the shawl, and a blue thread was commanded to be incorporated into each tassel. After the destruction of the second temple in the city of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, tequilit could not be produced. Jews wore tassels or white or white with a black thread. It is believed that the dye came from a Mediterranean sea snail or mosque. Although opinions differ, most scholars believe this mosque is the Murex trunculus, and this snail was thought to be extinct. Now listen to this. For thousands of years it was extinct. After the crucifixion of Jesus, this snail could not be found. But about 20 years ago, it began to be found again in the Mediterranean. The snail was thought to be extinct as it began washing ashore in Israel a few years ago. The blue... Whew. I know this is mundane right now, but we're fixing to take off, y'all. Just bear with me, alright? The blue dye can now be extracted from the shell. Interestingly, interestingly, the blue color appears only when the dyed wool is exposed to sunlight. Is this property symbolic of Jesus who says, I am the light of the world? Why is that important? Why is that important? Because all these years and until recently, Israel could not produce the blue dye, the tequilit, to welcome the Messiah back. But now, Israel has the precious blue dye necessary to welcome the Messiah with His color. The middle garment of the high priest's garment and the blue thread of the seat seat can now be authentically dyed. Today, most talits have blue in them somewhere other than the seat seat, or they may not have blue in them at all. They may not have blue. Some of these around here do not have blue in the seat seat at all. We've got some that do. We've got some that aren't blue at all. We've got some that are black. We've got some that are, are, are green. We've got some that are purple. Uh, there's even one you can get called Joseph's Talit, which is like a coat of many colors, and it's got many colors. So it's really your preference, but the important thing is that it's got the fringes on it, okay? Everybody understand that. Now, the blue speaks of royalty. How many of you know that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation? The Bible calls us kings and priests. Well, did you know this thing right here between my fingers is called the diadem? A diadem is a crown. Who wears a crown? Kings. Royalty wears a crown. This diadem contains a Hebrew blessing. And it's been pronounced for over 2,000 years before you put your lead on. The Hebrews would pray this prayer. Baruch atah Adonai. Eloheinu melech ha'olam. Asher kitshanu bo vashivanu. And what that means in English is this. Blessed art thou, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with thy commandments and commanded us to wear the fringed garment. And when you put it on, when you put the, when you put the, the, the prayer shawl on, you drape it over your shoulders, you don't hang it around your neck like a shawl, but you put, you, 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 you put it over. And for folks that have narrow shoulders, there's a little trick here. It's called a tallit clip. And you can put one clip there. And we got these as well. Wouldn't we be a bad store if we didn't? 
If I can... See, I, that's why I'm the Baptist. Alright, now. The longest strand in the seat seat is what color? It's called the shamash. It's called the helper strand. It's the one that wraps around the others. And Jesus said, I'm going to not leave you comfortless. I'm going to send you a helper. All right, now listen. Listen, 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 listen. All right, that, that, that's a little bit of the foundation. We, we're, fixing to, we're fixing to take off here. The Talit is a personal, the third thing, the fourth thing is the Talit is a personal tabernacle. Did you know that three and a half, four million people could not get into the tabernacle? So God commanded them to make themselves little tabernacles. Talit. Tal is tent. Leith is small. Small tent or little tabernacle. In Matthew 6, 6, Jesus said, When you enter into your closet and shut your door, pray in secret. Many scholars believe that what he was talking about was the prayer shawl. That what you would do, if you were going to pray an intimate prayer with Jesus, you would enter into your prayer shawl, enter into your closet, and in private prayer, you would shut your door and pray. In public prayer, you could drop it and pray with the door open. But many believe that this is exactly what Jesus was talking about. Not a physical closet, but a prayer shawl. In Numbers 24, 1 through, 1 through 5, I want, you, I want to show you something. Numbers 24, 1 through 5. Now this, is going to, this would make a Presbyterian shout. You ready? Roman, uh, excuse me, Numbers 24, 1 through 5. Now when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to seek to use sorcery, but he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to their tribes. And the Spirit of God came upon him. Then he took up his oracle and said, The utterance of Balaam the son of Baor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are open, the utterance of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of God Almighty, who falls down uh, with his eyes wide open. How lovely are your tents, Oh, Jacob. Now, if you remember, Balak, who was the Moabite king, knew that whatever Balaam prophesied came to pass. So he told Balaam to prophesy against Israel. Here's the problem. As Balaam looked down into the valley and saw the children of Israel camped underneath their talits. Notice what he saw. Now, this is going to set your wood on fire here, okay? Listen to this. When Israel camped, they camped in a certain order that God asked them to camp. They were positioned where God told them to camp. Now watch this. In the middle, you would have the tribe of Levi. It wasn't a big tribe. 
but it was the priestly tribe, and they would be in the middle. To the west, you had Ephraim. And Ephraim had 108,000. This was called the camp of Levi, the camp of Ephraim. To the north, you had the tribe of Dan, and Dan had 157,600. To the south, you had the tribe of Reuben, and Reuben had 151,400. And here's where it gets interesting. Actually, Dan needs to be a little longer. We'll add him a little. We'll, we'll put him a porch. Okay. The tribe of Judah was to the east. And the tribe of Judah was one-fourth longer or bigger than the other tribes. They had 186,400. And this was the tribe of Judah. This was called the the camp of Dan, the camp of Ephraim, the camp of Reuben, and the camp of Judah. And Judah, Judah was one quarter longer. And this was to the east. Now, as Balaam looked down across the top of the people, camped out, Balak said, curse them. Balak, Balaam basically said, can't curse what God's blessed. And you know what it was that Balaam saw when he looked with the people in their talits? The cross. You see, Jesus is in the Old Testament. And he said, there ain't no way I'm cursing that. Come on, somebody. I said, come on, somebody. Now listen to me. Number five, the tallit represents the healing wings of Jesus. Look in Malachi 4.2. The last book. The last book of the Old Testament. Matter of fact, uh, Elizabeth, what I told you a while ago, negate that. I see the young lady here that wants the tallit. There she is. Got it in the bookstore with your name on it, okay? Malachi 4.2. Now, we are fixing to hit cruising altitude, y'all. You ready? Told you all that other just to kind of get you thinking a little Jewish. All right? Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in His wings. The Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in His Wings. The word wings there is the word kanaf. And why do they call it wings? Well, I just wonder. The Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in His wings. Now watch this. Look with me in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. 
Verse 43. Luke chapter 8, verse 43. Now a woman, having a flow of blood for twelve years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, Peter said to them, Master, the multitudes are thronging you. And you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out of me. When the woman saw that she could not be hidden, she came trembling and fell before him and declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This woman knew that there was healing in the Son of Righteousness' wings. She knew that this was the name of God. And if she could get her hands on the name of God, that blood, would, that blood flow would stop. There's another place over in Matthew where it says He went out and healed, and all that, that, that sought Him touched His garment and were healed. See, they knew. They knew that there was healing in the wings of Jesus. Now, when that woman touched him, he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Did you know in the Jewish culture, only your mother or your daughter could touch your talit? This woman was not a relative of Jesus. She should have had no business grabbing a man's talit that she didn't know. But you know what? She knew. Honey, this was, a, this was an extension cord full of power hooked up to the spout of heaven. And if I can get my hands on it, power's going to flow out from where I need it into my body. And she says immediately she felt in her body that the disease was gone. The moment she touched the name. I'm going to tell you, there's healing in the name of God. We know Him as Yeshua HaMashiach. The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. Now, watch this. What is the numerical value of Yahweh, did we say? 26. What is the numerical value of Echad? 13. What is 26 and 13? 39. How many stripes do we Christians believe that Jesus took on His body for our healing? Thirty-nine. The Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in His wings. Every time we see the seat seat, every time we see it, we're reminded of what Jesus did for us. Sixthly, Jesus' talit was used as a point of contact to raise a dead girl. In Matthew 5, 41, he says, Talitha kume. Talitha kume. Do you get it? Talitha kume. In Matthew, or excuse me, in Mark 5, 41. Little girl, under my talit, I say to you, arise. She was dead. Come here, listen. Lay down here, be dead. Lay down, be dead. 
Lay on your back and be dead. When I tell you to, I want you to rise, alright? Jesus laid His plead on her. They were crying and moaning and groaning and crying and the hope was all gone because she was dead. And Jesus said, Little girl under my tallit, I say unto you, Arise. And she did. Hallelujah. Number seven. Turn away to John. This is the Easter part. Everybody ready for the Easter part? John 20. Verse 1 through 8. John 20, verse 1 through 8. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early. While it was still dark and saw that the tomb had been taken away from the tomb, the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid Him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter. See, reason the reason John outran Peter was Peter wasn't sure he really wanted to see Jesus. Last time he'd seen him, he'd heard a cock crow and he denied him three times. So he, I can see old Peter. He runs and he, I want to, but I don't. I want to, but I don't. And John outran him. And stooping down and looking in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and saw the linen cloth lying there and the handkerchief that had been around the head not lying with the linen cloth, but folded together in a place by itself. Now, you must understand, because we are not Jewish, we are Gentiles, and we have lost so much of the flavor of the New Covenant because we don't understand the Old Covenant traditions. At the Jewish supper table, when the Master was through eating His meal, He would wipe His hands, He would wipe His beard, wipe His face, and when He was through eating... The way that the servants knew we can go ahead and clean up the, the plate, we can move the food, the master has finished eating. The master would wipe his face, wipe his hands, and if he was finished eating, he would throw the napkin down on the table, depart from the table, and the servants knew they could come and Clean the table because the master was finished. However, if he was not finished and he was coming back, maybe he had to go to the restroom and he wasn't through. Maybe he went to talk with somebody or whatever, but he said, don't touch my plate. I'm not through. The master would not wad the napkin up and throw it down because if he did, 
the servants would clean up the table because the master wasn't going to return. But if the master folded his napkin, they knew we can't touch that because he's coming back. John and Peter looked in the tomb and they saw Jesus' tleet, for he was buried with it because he was a Jew and every Jew was buried with it. And it only stands to reason that the part that was not the cocoon, that the, that the, 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 the spices and all hardened and made like a cast, was the part wrapped around the face the face napkin, or his tallit, because every Jew was buried with it. And what they saw, they saw the cocoon here with the hole where Jesus' body had come out the hole. Nothing but a cocoon left. But over by itself was Jesus' prayer shawl folded up. Now, first of all, whoever folded that thing was in the tomb. The stone was rolled over. Whoever folded it was Jewish. Whoever folded it was alive. And whoever folded it was coming back. Can we give the Lord praise? Hallelujah! I'm coming back. Now, this is not a magic charm in itself. There is no power in it. In itself, there's no power in it. But it is what it represents that is all-powerful. You see, it reminds us of who God is. It reminds us of who we are. Are kings and priests. It reminds us of the Word of God. It, it reminds us to be aware of His presence. And when we're praying, it shuts out distractions. I have a Baptist pastor friend whose doctoral dissertation was one inch thick on why tongues is not for today. He went to Israel, bought a prayer shawl, and on a Wednesday night in the parsonage beside his Baptist church, got under the prayer shawl, did not believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit, did not believe in praying in tongues, did not believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit, did not believe in the fullness of the Spirit, did not talk against it and preached against it, and found himself slain in the Spirit on his bed, almost late for Wednesday night service. Under the prayer shawl, God met him and baptized him in the Holy Ghost. And he said, I was speaking something I ain't never even heard of before. He staggered over to the Wednesday night service. And one of the women in the choir said, Preacher, what's happened to you? You look drunk. He said, Well, is that going to happen to me? I don't know. Get under it and see. I know that it cuts out distractions. I know when you get in and shut your door, God will meet you under the tabernacle. It prepares us for the return of our Jewish Lord Jesus, the King of Zion. And I want to leave you with one thing that you'll never forget if you'll turn with me to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. 
verse 11. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Verse 13, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Verse 16, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings, a name written, say a name written, the King of kings and Lord of lords. I know that when Jesus comes back and He's on that white stallion and we're following Him because we've already been raptured out of here, I believe. And He's coming back and He's going to defeat the whole world with a sword, with one word. The Bible says He's coming back and they're going to look on Him whom they've pierced. They're going to see Him. They're going to know He's Jewish. He's going to have His name on His thigh. He's going to have His name on His thigh. He's going to have His name on His thigh. He's coming back in His Jewish apparel. And they will look upon Him whom they pierced. King of kings. Lord of lords, Yahweh God, the Son of righteousness with healing in His wings. It's not a rag, y'all. It's not a magic charm either. But what it represents is all-powerful. What it represents is all-powerful. When you pray, what I do is I'll just grab the name of God. See, where else can I go? You have the words of eternal life. This this reminds me of your word. It's where my hope is. Y'all, I know there's some of you today. The word of the doctor. It's not a good word. The word of that spouse who walked out on you and the door slammed and you hear it in your head every time you shut your eyes is not a good word. Financial word you got from the banks not a good word. The last conversation you had with your kids is not a good word. But I'm going to tell you there's a place you can go where you can hold on to a word from God. And be reminded that His promises are sure. He will never forsake you. He'll never go back on a promise He's given you. And if some of you need encouraging in your prayer life, and you need somewhere where you can just come in and shut the door and get away with God, and hold on literally to the name of God and the Kanaf, say, God, You're all I'm holding on to, but it's enough. You're all I've got, but you're all I need. And God, I'm going to meet you here and I'm going to believe for you to do for me what you did for that woman with that issue of blood. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God, it's not this cloth. It's not these strings. It's what they represent. 
It's you, O oh Lord. I'm hanging on to your word. I'm hanging on to your name. You're precious to me. And God, you said you would hide me under the shadow of your wings. And God, I seek refuge in you. That's what it represents. Is there anybody here today that needs to be in that place? Jesus said, O Jerusalem and Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, how I would have gathered you under my kanaf. As a mother hen does her chicks, but you would not. He wants to meet you here. He wants to get under it with you. He wants to tabernacle with you. See, we've lost this as Gentiles. We don't know nothing about it. But it all points to Jesus. It all points to Jesus. Today, I don't know of a better day to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord as Easter Sunday. Marcus, my son, was saved on Easter Sunday. What a great day. To let the Lord that came out of that empty tomb come into an empty heart and fill it. If you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior. I don't want one thing that Jesus has done to go in vain for me. He came out of that tomb so that I could come out of mine. He's the firstborn among many brethren. And you'd say today, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to receive Jesus as my Savior.